Well, let's continue worshiping this morning by opening our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Will you do that with me? Romans chapter 8. While you're turning there, just a reminder, this is week number six in our series on the Holy Spirit, God's presence and power. I've got some terrific news for you this morning in regards to the Holy Spirit. It's this, the Holy Spirit isn't homeless. The Holy Spirit's not like floating around looking for a place to land. He's not just kind of hopping from, uh, you know, uh, mountains or buildings or trees. The Holy Spirit actually has residence in the hearts of believers. He's not homeless. He lives. He dwells in God's children. This morning, I want to talk more about the indwelling work or the indwelling role, or we could even say the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. So the fact that God's Spirit resides in us, what does that mean? What can we expect from that? And what does God expect from that? You may can ask it in this way. Um, this, our position in the Spirit and His position in us, what does that do to our disposition? I think Romans 8, 1 through 17 answers those questions. So your Bibles are open there. Let's read together, shall we? I'll begin reading in verse 1. Follow along with me. <clears throat> there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. He is stronger. It is written. He is risen. Sin is broken. Love verse 1. And he immediately jumps into... To the result of that, look what he says in verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. So no condemnation means we're free and we're free from the law of sin and death for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now notice how he gets right to our disposition. Here's his expectation. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Would you circle the word walk? Verse five, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live, circle the word live, would you? According to the spirit, they set their minds. Would you circle the, the three words, set their minds? They set their minds on things of the Spirit. So you've seen the word walk, you've seen the word live, you've seen the word set their minds. All this is flowing from the word free in verse 2. This is what the Spirit of life has done for us. He's freed us because of the work of Christ on the cross. Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if you want to please God, <clears throat> then you need to be in the Spirit, and the Spirit needs to be in you. And this is the expectation. 
This is our disposition, one of pleasing God. And I think the words that would be synonymous with that are the words live, walk. We set our mind. And so in a real summary fashion here, in these first eight verses, excuse me, Paul is simply describing our disposition and the expectation as this, freedom from sin and victory over sin. We're free, and so we live, we walk, uh, we set our mind on things of the Spirit, and this is our way of life. In fact, those three words are all present tense. You could add an ing on those and be very sound textually. We're living, we're walking, we're setting. This is what we are doing because of the Spirit. In fact, can I just notice, can I just have you notice two powerful words in this that have really spoken to me this week? Look at the end of verse four, maybe not quite the end, but towards the end. When he uses the gospel to kind of shore up and summarize why the Spirit works this way, it's because of what God has done for us in Christ. Look what he says about this. He says that that he condemned um, sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law, which is really obedience, that's what that's referring to. If to meet the law standards, obedience might be fulfilled, and say these next two words with me, in us. There is no doubt And a primary vertical effect of the cross, it satisfies God's demands without a doubt. But sometimes we fail to realize that the work of Christ on the cross in condemning sin has an effect horizontally to us. The fulfillment of that also happens in us. We are now given the Spirit's power to obey. So God's expectations are obedience. Living by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, setting your mind on things of the Spirit. This is how you please God. This is our disposition. Now, you may say to me, Todd, I don't, I don't know how that's possible. I don't know if I can do that. I'm human. I'm flesh and bone, and I've got appetites and cravings, and sometimes it just seems like more often than not, man, I, that, that seems like a stretch. I mean, victory over sin, freedom from sin, really, I feel the opposite too often. Well, Paul anticipated that response. I think the real core of these first 17 verses is right here at 9 through 11. Look what he says as he discusses now our position. In other words, he makes a declaration. Verse 9, follow along with me. You, however, notice the word however. In other words, if you sense and wonder sometimes, can I live this way? Can I obey? Can I live? Can I walk? Can I set my mind? Can I do this in a consistent fashion to please God? Yes, because you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Circle the word dwells, would you? Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. I think that single word righteousness refers back to the summary of the gospel in verses 3 and 4. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, circle the word dwells, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Circle the word dwells. And if you combine the three mentions of the word dwell with the phrase in verse 10, 
Christ is in you. You have four references to the fact that Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. What I think is interesting is that in these three verses, he's not just saying the Holy Spirit dwells in you or that you are in the Spirit. He's actually bringing every bit of the Godhead to bear upon our position. There are 13 references to the Godhead in these three verses. This is a very Trinitarian trio of verses. Whenever I, whenever I see all the Godhead in Scripture bringing its weight up to bear upon something, our ears should perk up. And what Paul is emphasizing is the incredible reality of your position and of the Spirit's position in you. And you're in the Spirit. Look at the text again. He talks about the Spirit of God. And then he says the Spirit of Christ. So there's not only Trinitarian references. There's a lot of references to the deity of the, of the Spirit, deity of the Son, this is just quite, um, this is quite impactful. The spirit of God, the spirit of Christ. He says, if Christ is in you, and this is on the heels of saying that we are in the spirit and the spirit's in us. He talks about Jesus and then about Christ Jesus. So understand something, church. Your position is affected, uh, dictated, mandated, controlled by every single bit of God. The Father, Son, and Spirit. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. You're in the Spirit, the Spirit's in you. The Father's overseeing, controlling all of that. The great three and run is making sure that for all who believe in his name, your position is settled. So don't say to me, well, I can't control my disposition. I can't please God. I can't help but sin. No, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You can please God. Because you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. I think often we read this through the filter of like, well, you know, I'll just do the best I can. We have like this quota of sin we have to accomplish in order to make sure that everybody knows we're still human, right? Man, Romans 8 is a beautiful text that starts off by saying we're, we're free from sin. And it's the Spirit now in us who helps us realize that and live that way. Our position and his position should affect our disposition. The question, is it? And I hope this morning there's a mindset change happening and that you will actually live in this reality. We won't live there perfectly, but I maintain and contend with you this morning. This should be our, our vision. We don't have to sin You don't have to sin. The Holy Spirit is in you. He has freed you. And the, the two words in us, there at the end of verse four, I've been thinking all week about those two words. Here's what I think is happening when Paul says that, that once and for all Christ you know, condemns sin in the flesh, and yet that, that experience is in us, right? That, that helps us fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, so to speak. Here's what I think is going on. Christ died at one time for all sin so that we can experience its power in real time. That is mediated through the Holy Spirit. 
Remember, the Holy Spirit's the presence and power of God. He's the agent that, that mediates the power and presence of God to his children. And so Christ's one-time sacrifice, once and for all atonement, redemption, it's finished, is realized in us in real time. Whenever Satan comes your way, tries to tempt you, doesn't try, he does tempt you. And he shoots his fiery darts at you. I just want to encourage you, stand. And when you've done all to stand, you just stand with the armor of God. You don't have to sin. Further proof that this idea of dwelling, this idea of our position is what Paul's really aiming at is, is is found in the actual word dwell. Can I just dive a little deeper with you? You know the word dwell actually comes from the Greek word house. So Paul is clearly saying the Holy Spirit, Christ, you can choose your Trinitarian word here. He's not a tenant. <laughs> He's a resident. He's not renting space. He's not quarantined to a part of your basement. He's moved in and he's taken over. The Holy Spirit lives. He dwells in your house. So that position, him in you and you in him, and all of the Godhead being involved in that, man, it should affect our disposition. And that's why he gets to that again in verse 12. He continues in his first emphasis. Again, follow along with me in verse 12. So then, you see the word so then? So he's kind of back to his thought, isn't he? In light of our position, in light of all of the Godhead's work regarding our position and his in us, then brothers, we are debtors. That's a crazy word, isn't it? We're obliged. I mean, can we just say the obvious truth? We owe this. We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Again, in this section, I would circle the words live. I'd circle the word debtor. I'd circle the phrase put to death here in verse 14. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Circle the word led. I think these are all similar and synonymous thoughts to what he mentioned in verses one through eight. Walking, living, setting your mind, being led, putting to death, understanding your, your uh, kind of obligation, being a debtor. In fact, verse 15 says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There's a disposition term. We're crying out to God. This is a real term of endearment. The Spirit himself, verse 16 says, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. That's disposition language, endurance, in order that we may be glorified with him. So as you read you know, 12 through 17, again, you, you see disposition language. One other note about the Holy Spirit in 12 through 17 that I find beautiful. 
He's called the spirit of adoption. Now think about this. Adoption is not a tenant term, is it? It's a legal uh, status. You're in. It's not going to be changed. It's verified, solidified. You're part of the family. So again, it just really resonates with the idea of the Holy Spirit dwelling, being a resident. He's made us part of the family. Every bit about this text is that our position is solidified. It's declared. And so now the expectations or our disposition should be in line and follow suit. By the way, even as you read 18 through 30 in this same chapter, and man, Romans 8 is such a chapter. We could spend six months in this one chapter, okay? So I'm really giving you a flyover in a lot of ways. But as you keep reading 18 through 30, just from the lens of the Holy Spirit, you find that here's some further disposition language. Uh, that we are, we are groaning inwardly, we're eagerly waiting. You just find so many things brought about by the Spirit that dwells in us, that lives in us, that resides in us, that has possession of us. All of it kind of leans against the idea that man, we're free. We live in victory over sin, freedom from sin. And so all these terms, they just help us understand more about what it means to have the Holy Spirit dwell in us. Now, I hope you're seeing this, that our position precedes and produces our disposition. All right? Now, I know it may not do that chronologically in the text, but if you just look at the idea that Paul is asserting, you'll find that the three verses, 9 through 11, really form the foundation for what comes before it and what comes after it. So I think we're biblically accurate. We're precise to say our position precedes and produces our disposition. In other words, the expectations of the Spirit's power they're grounded in the declaration of the Spirit's presence. What God expects from you, he has empowered you to do. Let me put it in a very simple way for you. As you know, we have one of these almost every week. A little take-home truth you can just tuck in your pocket. We say that a lot. Because I want you to walk away with one thing to remember so here it is this week. Here's really just the, the simple truth. All that is expected of us is empowered by who resides in us, the Holy Spirit of God. Will you say that with me, church? All that is expected of us is empowered by who resides in us, the Holy Spirit of God. And I hope this is kind of a pressing in on you Hope this is a moment of like, wow, I've never thought about it like that. All that God expects from me to please him, to be led by him, to walk, to live in freedom, to set my mind, all those things, to, to cry with intimate terms of endearment, to endure suffering, to wait eagerly, to groan inwardly. The spirit is indwelling you to all those ends. You're not left alone. This is why Jesus would say, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'm gonna send the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit. He'll empower you towards all of God's ends. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, aren't you glad the Holy Spirit's moved in, taken over, resides, lives, and dwells? Because this list would be crushing if we didn't have the Holy Spirit. 
In fact, in the first part of the chapter, he says, you can't even do it. So we need the Holy Spirit. And thankfully, by God's grace and sovereignty, we have the Holy Spirit, believers do. Amen. Amen. Let me just kind of show you briefly a, a simple way I sketched that on my notes. Can I do that? I'll just kind of use the lab here for a moment, try to draw this out for you. I'm getting a little better with my penmanship, so I think you'll be pleased this morning. But just using the biblical words, here's kind of how I see it in my head. I drew this in my notes. So we'll start with the word dwell. That's the key word in verses 9 through 11. It means to reside. And from there, there were several words throughout verses 1 through 17 we saw, such as, and you're welcome to say these with me, such as uh, live, set your mind, um, walk. These are words right from the text, okay? So we're just taking the scriptures and seeing kind of how they look in a sketch or a diagram in these 17 verses. We looked at things like um, put to death. We looked at debtors. We looked at lead. Now, some of you are thinking that's not much better penmanship, but I think it's actually a lot better, so just work with me here. You should see the other prescriptions, right? My goodness. Now, watch this. These are, this is the fact. This is our position. These are all acts. You follow me? It's our disposition. And sometimes diagrams, pictures, help me kind of summarize things, kind of get an image in my head like, oh, so that's what that looks like. And this, this is your life and my life. Every bit of our acts, of our disposition, is hinged and tied to right here. As believers, the Holy Spirit living, residing, and dwelling in us. This is Romans 8, 1 through 17, looking at it specifically through the angle of the word spirit in the text. So let's go back to our take-home truth, can we? So do you see how this is now making sense more and more? All that is expected of us, those are all the, the words at the bottom, is empowered by who resides in us. That's the word at the top. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in believers. So without a doubt, the flow of the Spirit's provision follows the fact of the Spirit's residence. Residence empowers provision. In fact, let's just go ahead and state the obvious. What is naturally impossible in our human flesh is supernaturally possible by the Holy Spirit. You can please God. Now let's be painfully plain. If you've never known anything like this, if you don't really desire this, if you don't thirst for this, if a life of, even in the struggle and the, and the battle and the fight, if, if a life of like freedom from sin, like I don't know anything about that. Here's the painfully plain part. You don't have the Holy Spirit. 
which means you're not a Christian. The text is is explicably clear. Anyone who does not have the Spirit is none of His, the Bible says. So watch this, church. Your first and next step is not 12 steps. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not trying harder. It's not another resolution. Your answer is Christ and his cross. It's verses three and four. It's realizing, oh, so my, my entire situation with all my sin and just always living under it and being bound to it and held captive by it, Do you mean there's no way out of that humanly? There's not. There's only one way out of it. It's from God through Christ. For God, verse 3 says, sent his son in the likeness of human flesh to condemn sin in the flesh. Watch this, church. So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Say it with me. In us. In in the most explicit scriptural terms, one of the reasons Christ died was to condemn sin so that it wouldn't rule in your body, was to make sure you feel the effects of his one-time death in real-time life. So if you want to live to please God by not sinning, we're not speaking of perfection. We're not speaking of, you know, some state of euphoria where you're, you no longer sin at all, but we're just talking about an increasing understanding of sanctification, We call it progressive sanctification. Well, you're not sinless, but let's be frank. You hopefully, by God's Spirit's power, sin less. That is all empowered by the gospel. God sending his son to condemn sin the flesh so that you then would have the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in you. It's a powerful verse. I've been just soaking all week in that truth, that Jesus died so I could experience in real time the death of his, the, the, the benefit of his one time death. Like, wow, Jesus, thank you. This is really what Becca Cook knows and lives. You heard Becky mention to you that Beckett's gonna be here the last Sunday of June. He was uh, immersed. into the homosexual Hollywood culture. And he'll tell you a story when he's here, so I don't want to tell it to you now. It's written in the book called A Change of Affection. I've mentioned it before. It's a fabulous book. But through an interesting set of circumstances, God saved Becca Cook right out of that entire dysfunctional, destructive world and put him on a path to sexual purity and biblical living. It's an incredible story. God freeing someone from sin and empowering him through his spirit to live this way consistently. He'll be here the last Sunday of June to tell you his story. I'd encourage you to invite anyone you can that you know. I love to see all three services just maxed, packed out, as he will just be a living model of what this passage talks about. But the truth is, we're all living models. Maybe some testimonies aren't as public or maybe even as dramatic in one sense on a human level. 
But the truth is we all can and should and have, I'm sure, experienced the provision of the Spirit's freedom from sin and victory over sin. Here's how this could play out in other ways and scenarios. You're checking your email. And suddenly the urge to click on an advertisement that you just saw, it flares up. And man, you want to click on that. But you know that's a click that will eventually lead to viewing porn again. It's a click you know will feed your lust and lead to more broken relationships. It's a dead end of regret. And so the Spirit reminds you in that very same moment to flee youthful lusts. And so in the power of the Spirit, after he jars you, you exit out of everything. You get up from your chair and you leave the room. You take the Holy Spirit and the Word of God literally and you flee that youthful lust. In that moment, you prevented sin from being birthed. That's the Holy Spirit's residence empowering his provision. Here's another scenario. You can hardly keep scrolling through the Instagram feed because the jealousy you feel is escalating. Everyone's got so much more than you. At least it looks that way. And you're just turning green with envy on the spot. But then the Holy Spirit flashes Hebrews 13 on the screen of your mind. Be content with what you have. And so you act on that promise and you verbalize your gratefulness. You verbalize it to God for what he's given you. And in minutes, maybe even seconds, you're no longer envious, but you're thankful. And a fruit of the Spirit is evidenced in that very moment. That's the Holy Spirit's residence empowering his provision. The Word of God and the Spirit of God working to sanctify the children of God. Let me mention another one to you. You're driving back from some errands. And for some odd reason, the devil starts bringing up many of your past sins. That footage just starts rolling. <laughs> it seems that within seconds, you're wondering if you're really saved at all. Do I even belong to you, God? Fear and guilt seem like they are about to steamroll you. When just as quickly, the Holy Spirit interrupts that mock trial. And he reads your real verdict based on Romans 8 and 1. Innocent. Free, not condemned. He points you to Jesus in the cross and you rest in the affirmation of the Holy Spirit with your spirit that you have been adopted by God forever placed in his family. That's the Holy Spirit's residence empowering his provision. How about one more? Your spouse takes a verbal jab at you because you forgot to pick something up on the way home from work. You want to respond with a counterpunch of your own words. But the Holy Spirit reminds you of Proverbs 15.1, that a soft answer turns away wrath. And so you don't say anything. Instead, you hold your tongue and you don't sin. That's the Holy Spirit's residence empowering his provision. It's the Holy Spirit of God using the Word of God to sanctify the children of God. That's why He dwells in you. That's why He's residing, living. Oh, believing brothers and sisters, 
Live in the reality that the Holy Spirit of God indwells you and in real time experience the power and presence of God. His provision for your victory over sin and freedom from it. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.